Welcome to the Friday edition of Couch Potato Diary. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you very much for tuning in today. It is going to be a busy show. If you want to get in contact with me, I am on Twitter and Instagram at primetimekline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. You can email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. The music you are listening to provided by Waste of Talent. Check them on Instagram at Waste of Talent. There are X's where the A's would be. Coming up on the show today, we have Christopher Harris from Harris football.com not going to be a well why do you have this guy ranked here why do you have this guy ranked here it's more what are you seeing as he goes back and rewatches countless hours of film on all of these guys to break them down to kind of make you uh, a little bit smarter as a fantasy uh, I guess, sports player. So we will be chatting with Christopher Harris coming up a little bit later on. But I want to open the show today with what we saw last night with the Stampeders taking on the BC Lions. And there are a number of talking points coming out of this one. The first is the Mike Riley situation. And it turned into a whole thing on social media last night. Sorry, Michael Riley. Uh, it turned into a whole thing on social media last night. And I even made a, a few comments on it. I, I need to make this point very clear. On the Michael Riley situation, I super don't care. I think it's hilarious. The problem is the league super cares and the people who are involved in that won't find it hilarious. And... One of the things that you would see on social media last night is, well, I mean, look, the BC Lions, all they have is a responsibility to winning football games and to their team. It's like, that is adorable. Oh, it's so cute that you think that. Um, or remarkably naive. Look, the, the Canadian Football League in 2019 lost between 10 and $20 million. If you will recall, it's tough to think back that far, but if you will recall, there was no pandemic in 2019. They, they, they got to have a full season and they still got shit kicked money-wise. And then they just didn't have a season last year. So that's no money. Now, not a lot going out, but none coming back in. This has not been a profitable league for a long time. And now on the same day, when it was announced, when single game sports betting will be implemented and a spot where, well, we talked with, with uh, Moshe Lander about this, where, I mean, maybe these leagues aren't going to make as much money. They can still make partnerships with these organizations. And with that, you do need to have this information be available. And I'm, again, I don't really care. And this is coming from someone who put money on Stampeders minus seven, thinking that Michael Riley isn't going to be in there. But the reason that the NFL has turned into the fucking juggernaut that it is, isn't because everyone is just super stoked about four down football. It is because of gambling and it is because of fantasy football. And anyone who tells you otherwise is either stupid or naive or probably a little bit of both. For the CFL to be able to take a next step into being a profitable league, these are the things that need to get tightened up. And I get you want to have competitive advantages in week two. Sweet, I guess. But you got to play along, man. Like the, 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 the NBA found this out a couple of years ago when load management became a real big issue and guys were sitting out nationally televised games and stuff like that. And the NBA put a halt to that one real quick. It would be lovely if this utopian world 
of sport that we think about where all that matters is wins and losses and all the other financial stuff is just outside noise. I think we've proved over the last decade, at least, that that is definitely not the case. And to suggest that all the BC Lions have is a responsibility to win football games, sure, but you have to win football games within the framework of working with your television partners who would have loved to have known if they were running with either, hey, two of the faces of the league going head-to-head, Michael Riley against Bo Levi Mitchell, or look at this, Canadian quarterback is starting. Not, ah, what's going to happen? You have a responsibility to work with them, and you have a responsibility to, while everyone clutches their pearls at this, you do have a responsibility to the gambling public because people who put money on the games will then watch the games. That's how the NFL has turned a channel where you don't see any complete games into one of the most exciting and important channels that they have. It's not because, again, everyone just wants to keep an eye on what's happening. It's because of fantasy football and it's because of gambling. And this kind of information dramatically affects both of those things. And if you have a league where you can't trust what depth charts say, and I get the NFL depth charts are stupid anyway, but for the the CFL, when you can't trust those injury reports going into a wagering or a fantasy football situation, people are just going to tune out. And they've already tuned out. You need to get them back in some way, somehow. And last night, wasn't it? In terms of the game itself, um, the Lions look good, but that game shouldn't have been that close. Um, the, the Calgary Stampeders have some issues, and I saw a couple of things last night. Oh, it's the receivers. Oh, it's this. Make no mistake about it. Last night was on Bo Levi Mitchell. He was the best quarterback in the league for a while, and I want to take nothing away from him because I am a super nice dude to me. Any time that we, we've come into contact. Um, There is absolutely no vendetta or anything like that. But also, when you are the face of a team and things are going very, very well, he got a lot of praise, and a lot of it was rightfully so, but also, you have a lot of extremely talented football people around you, whether it be the receivers he had, the offensive line protecting him, the defense on the other side putting him in good situations, and the coach and the general manager, who I have said for years, have put together the best-run franchise in all of professional sports. Again, all of this makes it sound like I'm saying that Bo was a game manager. He was not. That team does not have the success if Bo Levi Mitchell isn't the best quarterback in the CFL. And for a long time, he was. And he still might get there. But you can get all of that praise, and when it goes sideways, you kind of got to wear it. And I think last night, Bo's got to wear that one. And he said nothing to the contrary after. Um, but you look at last night, and the four interceptions, and it, it is easy to say, oh, well, they don't have the rhythm down with the receivers or anything like that. But look at some of those throws last night. Like, they're the, the one in the end zone. It's a fantastic play by the defender to go up, make a play on that ball, and intercept it. But how many times have we watched football and you hear the phrase, oh, he put it where only his receiver could get it? That didn't happen last night. And a few of those throws were behind receivers jamming him into double coverage. And he said after he wants to give his guys an opportunity to make plays and that's fine. But sometimes there's just no opportunity there. Like it's one thing tight one-on-one coverage. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Then I I said last week, you got to trust your guys to make those plays tight two-on-one coverage eh? three-on-one coverage probably shouldn't be throwing that. So I I just, I thought Bo was off all night. There were very few throws where I thought, okay, that's Bo Levi Mitchell. 
That's the quarterback that we have come to expect in the Canadian Football League and with the, the Calgary Stampeders. I, I just, I don't think he had it last night. And I, I think that cost them the football game. Because you, you look at everything else, I think the Stamps played well. Like, defensively, I thought they played quite well. You hold a team to, what was it, 15 points or whatever it ended up being? In, in You hold them to under 20 in the CFL, you should be winning that game. And I thought they were able to run the ball extremely well. And I thought there was... There was too much focus on chunk plays and trying to to get things going in the passing game. When they focused on the run and they focused on the running backs, that's what BC was giving them. So just take that. And I, I thought it took them way too long to get into that mode. And I just, yeah, I, I, I thought they ran the ball well. I thought defensively they played well. You have that special teams gaffe late where uh, Henry brings the ball out to the one and that, that ends up costing you in the end. But... um. Overall, I thought the Stampeders played really, really well, but they need their quarterback to be that guy because this isn't a team that is loaded with talent anymore, right? Like this is a team that has lost and they've lost and they've lost and they've lost. And for a long time, they've been able to recover from that some way, somehow. This was not one of those times. And now you need your star quarterback to be the guy who is making players around him better. And I just thought last night he didn't do that. I thought some questionable decision-making last night as well. Um... They, they did a good job of talking about it on the broadcast, but with about four and a half minutes to go, the Stamps get the ball. A, they get a great return. They get the ball at the 31-yard line with about four and a half minutes left, I believe. And then have to convert on two, or convert on one third down, and then end up kicking a field goal anyway. And it was just missed opportunity after missed opportunity. A, once you've gone for it once on third down in that spot, you're kind of pot committed. Like you you just, you have to kind of keep going there because now you've just let a bunch of time run off the clock and that sucks when you are down two possessions. You, you either kick the field goal and then try to get the stop or you are now going for the touchdown so that then you only need to get the field goal. You, you can't, it, it felt like they were a little bit half pregnant last night and that is not a spot where it needs to be. But also something that can't be lost, you got the ball on the 31 freaking yard line and couldn't get a touchdown with it. Red zone has been a big problem for this team this year, and that is where some of that trust comes in with, with Bo Levi Mitchell, because for a long time, just throw it up to Eric Rogers, he's going to make a catch. Markway McDaniel was money on second and six. You know, like he just, that was automatic, and it was frustrating to watch as someone who doesn't cheer for the Stampeders. And there's just, there aren't those guys anymore. So, that there is me letting Bo off the hook a little bit, but still the overall storyline from this game is he needs to be a lot better because there are no pushovers in this West division. Saskatchewan, not going to be that Winnipeg. We just saw not going to be that you look at BC, you look at that roster and it just, it felt like every play last night, there was someone on the lions where it was, Oh, I like that guy. Oh, that guy's pretty good. Oh yeah, I like that guy too. Like they just, they they don't have a ton of superstars. You have the big name in Michael Riley. Um, but after that, like it's just a bunch of good football players. There are very few holes on this team. I, I don't know how many superstars there are, but there are very few holes. They're just a solid football team. They will make you work. And you, you saw it last night. Like they, they, they played a good football team. Uh, they, they played a good football game as well. And I, I don't want to discredit them in this talking about the Stampeders. But the Stamps, I think, are in a little bit of trouble. And I don't think the sky is falling. I still think this is a team that can make a playoff spot. I, I don't... 
when I say trouble, I just think they're not playing good football right now. That can change. We are still at the point in the schedule. Any other year, these would be preseason games. And boy, has it shown, especially here. They can still rattle off a ton of wins in a row. And we could still get to November and now December. And this is a team that is hosting a playoff game. But it has to get a lot better. And that improvement has to start at the quarterback position. Quickly, I know this is a football and fights Friday, but we have to talk about Major League Baseball last night. That was a perfect night. It looked visually stunning. It was amazing. You can't do that all the time. I don't think the Blue Jays should have played in Iowa all season instead of Buffalo, um, although that would have been fantastic. But all of that, like, it was neat. It was cool. It was, it was fun. You can't do it all the time. But for one night, it was absolutely perfect. I don't know what's happening outside, but we're just going to roll with it here. Um, you, you had real buzz for that game. And then the game delivers. Giancarlo Stanton with a home run. Aaron Judge hits a home run. Jose Abreu hits a home run. All the guys who you want to see spotlighted in these key games. And then I think the one who needed it the most, Tim Anderson comes up with the walk-off home run. He's able to strut that stuff a little bit on the uh, the walk-off as well. There was no pearl clutching of, oh, how could you how, how could you have someone toss their bat like that and react like that? You allow the emotion to come out. And it, it was just, it was a perfect mix for Major League Baseball. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Very few times do they get A pluses on anything. This was A plus, 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 plus. Just start to finish, absolutely perfect. It was awesome to see everything trending on Twitter. It was awesome to see the reactions of the players. It was awesome to see the reactions of the fans. So for at least one night, great job, Major League Baseball, for not, I mean, I was going to say looking a gift horse in the mouse, for not just punching a gift horse in the mouth. This was an absolutely fantastic night. Uh, For the Blue Jays last night, not as awesome. They fall to the LA Angels. This is one of the issues of trading for a starting pitcher at the deadline, and they, I, I, I will stand by. They should have made that trade 100 times out of 100. But this is the problem with trading with the starting or for a starting pitcher is that you only get so many starts with that guy and you will get a couple of nights like you had last night where he just didn't have it. And th- that doesn't mean all of a sudden now the Blue Jays are screwed or anything like that. They are playing awesome. And everyone in the American League is scared of them right now. I think they go into Seattle and have a good weekend, but now the pressure's kind of on where you need a good weekend. This can't be, a, oh, well, we were close, but we dropped uh, two out of three. Needs to be a serious win for the Blue Jays if they are to keep going. All right, going to hear a little bit of music, and then we will get to our guest, Christopher Harris from harrisfootball.com. We become smarter fantasy football players when we listen to Christopher Harris. So listen to the man and become smarter. The music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. They got a lot of new stuff out. Follow them on Instagram at Wasted Talent. There are X's in their name where the A's would be. Very pleased to be joined by our next guest as it is August, which means football time here north of the border. That means the Canadian Football League and for everywhere else on the planet, it means fantasy football time. And here to chat fantasy football is Christopher Harris from HarrisFootball.com. Mr. Harris, thank you very much for doing this today. How are you today? I'm okay. I'm like out of sorts because I have to like appear on camera and um, 
and and like set myself up on the funny so pardon me if everybody anybody's watching this i'm like shifting things around but people who are listening wouldn't have known a thing and instead i'm breaking the fourth wall as they say <laughs> oh it's fine my um my cats make um daily appearances on the show just by walking by <laughs> and could just blow past it but uh professionalism not necessarily my strong suit um just a, a quick story before we we get into it i remember a long time ago, uh, when we did the fantasy football show at my my previous employer, um, I I saw someone tweet out, "Well, fantasy football, we all have the same stats, so we're, we're all just having the same things." And I thought, "A, I, I don't like that that was said," and B, you know that person's kind of right. So I thought, "Okay, Game Pass <laughs> Game Pass has these like abbreviated games. It's the the game in forty minutes. You can watch them. I'm going to watch all of these, and I'm going to be smarter than everyone." And then I listened to your show, and I was like, "Well, not everyone." Uh, so I guess my, my first thing is damn you. And second of all, what, what was kind of the, the inspiration behind the film watching and all of those types of things to, to kind of set yourself apart in the, the fantasy analysis industry? Well, it wasn't really intended to set myself apart necessarily. I wasn't like, that wasn't the goal. It was that, um, I don't know. It, it in some ways it feels like doing this for a living, which is a, stupid job ridiculous ludicrous job uh feels like it's come a really long way because i'm a lot older than when i started and in some ways it feels uh like it's exactly in the same spot which is like i you know i feel like i cover the nfl i feel like my job is to cover the nfl uh, not that I care that it, like if my job were if i said my job were to cover the fantasy i don't that's not like a shame thing i don't care it's fine one way or the other but I feel like everybody who um, believes that they can predict stats, predict what's going to happen via numbers, if if they could, they already would have done it by now because there's 7 million of them. And that's how it felt back at, at my time at ESPN. Also, I when I first started covering fantasy sports in general, most people started cutting their teeth on fantasy baseball. Fantasy baseball was bigger, frankly, for a long time. And the way you covered fantasy baseball was via numeric projections that's that was that's really the only way to think about baseball because it's so many at bats it's 600 something at bats repeatable events patter versus pitcher every single time and it's really you get great data from it and even when the data isn't good we have like underlying data that tells us the actual good data like batting average on balls in play don't pay attention mm -hmm. to batting average you want to know what happens when they put the ball in play so um that's how I covered baseball and naturally it's how I covered football. And I noticed after the first few years of doing it, that I sounded like everybody else and that everybody was wrong in exactly the same ways. And when they were right, we were all like, duh, of course we're right. We're all right in exactly the same ways. And I think in, in the end, it's the chaos of football that steered me toward the idea that we're much smarter about the sport and about who's good in the sport and, uh, and about who'll be good for our fantasy teams if we understand who's actually good. Um, and, and also that statistics are generally a shorthand so that you can be told what happened in the game. Right. Stats are the thing that you go, oh, yeah, did, what, did he have a good game? Well, yeah, he went three for four. So, yeah, it was a good, it was a good game. Or, yeah, he ran, ran for 100 yards. So it, was, so it was a good game. Whereas if you'd had the time to actually watch the game, you would have known he had a good game. You wouldn't need numbers. You would have been like, yep, that guy's good. And I bet he'll do it again. And the way I came around to the idea that, wow, if, if somebody could be the person who had firsthand 
evidence of every game of every player of everything they would have an advantage over the people who had to summarize via stats so mm-hmm. i kind of decided all right well it's now technologically possible so after every football sunday i'll watch every game and kind of just talk about what i saw and um this this offends people <laughs> they want <laughs> they want to know what's going to happen they want to know get tell me the numbers that what's going to happen because these numbers definitely mean and the fact is that football numbers aren't all that predictive and uh, it feels like now i'm not always right just like the numbers people are aren't always right but i think i I'm, if I'm wrong, I'm more wrong in interesting ways. <laughs> at least. <laughs> That's fair. Um, that, that could be, a, I should seal that as a tagline for this show, wrong in interesting ways. Yeah. Um, but I, I've, I've always found the stats thing interesting because in baseball, if you said, well, over these last 16 games, this guy has done this. So obviously he's amazing. You'd get laughed out of the room and football. Well, I mean, this is like fantasy sports for baking, basing it off of stats, but it's it's basically just a series of small sample sizes and then a guy's career is over like that's that's basically what we're working with that's not the the best way to be i guess predictive like you said yes stats stats are a better uh in football especially a better description of what happened as opposed to what's going to happen next the coaches don't care about stats Mm -hmm. coaches don't care about um the dumb like miss tackle per thousand that you know that people use in to evaluate college prospects uh they 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 watch and they go yeah i can use that guy and then they use him and they see if he was good in the ways that they want them to be good and they say woo cool i can use him again and i can use him more and in different ways and if we can emulate that and and listen i i would never peter try to say i'm the only person who does this my goodness there's lots and lots of great people who who right. think that the way to understanding this stuff is by understanding the players themselves. Uh, I have a lot of them as guests on my show, like there's tons of them, but it's, we're certainly a very small minority and we're overwhelmed by the people on Twitter who go, dummies, fantasy isn't hard, chase volume. Here's a graph, it says it, every running back who had volume was good last year, duh, all you have to do is chase volume. And I go, yeah, what happens if the guy's bad and this coach decides not to give him volume, right? That's not, right. we don't, we don't <laughs> talk about that. <laughs> um, so getting into some of the things that you watched um, as you got ready as one of the, the big offseason projects for you, the, uh, the Harris Football Almanac, which is a must purchase for anyone who is in a, a fantasy football league. Um, there, there is a, a direct correlation, speaking of stats, between the success I have in a fantasy football league and the earliness with which I've purchased the Almanac. Um, <laughs> well, I, I tried one year right before, okay, I'm, I'm going to, it's draft day, I'm going to buy it and had a, a pretty good grasp on like three quarterbacks and that was about it. Um, yeah. But Josh Allen was quite the turnaround last year and he is now forever going to be the example of well yeah he was bad in year one but look what Josh Allen did um from what you saw is that turnaround sustainable for Josh Allen coming into this season yeah the short answer is yes it's it's sustainable and kind of unprecedented uh and remember it wasn't just one year he had two right two years of looking like an okay fantasy player because we care about quarterback rushing yards right there's like there's a glitch in the matrix there's a there's a thing that makes bad players good which you know i think fantasy sports in general were meant to be the thing where you go cool i acquired this good player that means good things for my fake team right and it and then Jameis winston has a season and blake bortles has a season when we we can see with our eyes they're terrible but they're getting stats and that's kind of what josh allen was doing via running um i do think it's i do think it's sustainable there's there was really nothing fake about game situations there was nothing fake about 
you know, they're losing by 30 all the time. So he just had to throw his way out of a hole that he helped dig, which is, I call that like doing the Bortles. Uh, <laughs> it, it just, it was real from the very beginning. Stefan Diggs coming to Buffalo certainly seems like it was uh, a, a crucial part of it, but you also just can't fake the kind of deep accuracy and good decisions that just flat out weren't there in the first two years and suddenly were. And to your point, the the fact that it flip-flopped so fast is going to lead a lot of people to go, that happens. Jalen Hurts, you didn't like the way he looked last year? No problem. It happened. Don't you remember Josh Allen? It happens. Guys, guys figure it out. And they do, but they don't usually figure it out that fast. Right. Yeah, it's. I feel like 15 years from now, well, Josh Allen did that because he'll be the, the most recent example. Yeah. Um, speaking of guys who we kind of want to see maybe turn things around a bit, is Carson Wentz just broken? Because uh, he seemed broken last year. He wasn't good. Um, <laughs> it's. I can't tell you the answer to the question because we need to see him play again. Mm-hmm. That, that the fact is, we nobody can really tell you. I'm sure he doesn't think so. I doubt the Colts think so, but uh, I bet the Eagles organization thinks so. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was. He was. Uh, he probably wasn't the worst player in the league, which is what he looked like, right? He's mm-hmm. probably hasn't fallen that far. There's. There's something about the this you know the sum being greater than the the whole being greater than the sum of the parts or the whole being less than the sum of the parts and you know that's that's a combination of no receivers that were really really any good offensive line that was super super injured had been really good previously but you know very beaten up last year uh the team just losing a lot whence whence not having any time and not having enough mobility to get out of the way and him getting up inside his own head it's it it feels like the physical stuff that he wasn't doing last year, but he's shown he can do in the past that that usually doesn't go away when you're in your twenties. So it, it strikes me that, you know, we're not going to have to think about it for fantasy right away. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't have to worry about Carson Wentz. And really we don't have to worry about any Colts receivers as major contributors right away. I would draft Michael Pittman. I think he's good value. I think he's a good enough prospect and played well enough last year that as as a bench receiver, I'm interested, you know, kind of like, eighth round you know like i don't need to use i like him but the good news about all that is is that none of us are going to be relying super heavily on them and maybe if we kind of have in the back of our minds that last year was just a weird confluence of events maybe we're willing to buy in a little sooner than other people if we see it go well to start the year Mm -hmm. one of the the higher drafted uh indianapolis colts would be jonathan taylor do do you see carson wentz having an effect on him either positively or negatively if Carson Wentz is good again, it's a positive effect. You want a good offense. You want, you want good players all to be together on an offense. And a lot of times you won't hear that. A lot of times you'll hear say, no, 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 I want the bad offense because then they got to over rely on the running back. I call it a crutch argument because the defense is aware the quarterback is bad as well and tends to put eight in the box and make it harder for the running back. It's better for Jonathan Taylor if they get better quarterback play than they did last year. Philip Rivers wasn't like ungodly terrible, but he was pretty average and hard time going down the field. Um, I'll, I'll just say I haven't moved Taylor based on the Wentz injury. Now we're, as of our recording this, now we're hearing, oh no, no, he might, Wentz might be good for week one. Like, let's not live and die with that day by day. (laughs) I, you know, it's better for skill position players to be playing with a good quarterback and Carson Wentz for however bad we think he is, Jacob Eason is probably worse. So I'll, you know, I, I would say if I'm thinking of, dra- of drafting Taylor late in the first, early in the second in a fantasy draft, which is a fair price, there's some risk involved for sure. But there's the problem is you look at all the other guys and there's 
they all have unbelievable <laughs> amounts of risk, right? You know, if you feel sick about all of them, um, I, I, you know, if I'm making that plunge and I think it's fair, then I, I would want once back. Um, another crutch argument that I like that is kind of along the same lines as well. If the team's bad, that means they're going to be throwing a lot. So just pick the bad teams and look at that. Off <laughs> you go, right? And uh, as you've mentioned on your podcast before, you're, well, we are so very good at picking out the bad teams, uh, which is why the, the Buffalo Bills made it to a conference championship. <laughs> right. Well, two, two problems with that one, right? The first one is exactly right. We're just bad at predicting you know, if, if they if we were good at predicting over unders, Vegas would not have all of our money, which they do. <laughs> and the second thing is that if if all it required was a quarterback to be on a bad team, then why are all the quarterbacks on bad teams usually not great for fantasy? Every so often you get the Bortles, you know, every so often, but more often than not, those are the guys who wind up not producing anything and getting benched. Mm-hmm. Um, at the running back position, uh, you have Christian McCaffrey ranked third, uh, and there is uh, a general consensus out there that he would be at number one. Um, mm-hmm. What what kind of, uh, I don't want to say scares you, because that might be, I mean, he's still third. It's not like you hate the guy, but what what is the, the concern that has him behind Kamara and, and Dalvin Cook for you? So you're, those are standard ranks with no PPR, right? right? Yes. So uh, in PPR, McCaffrey is my one. So I guess that's a way of saying pretty darn close. I'm pretty agnostic among all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all feel like relatively safe, but maybe a little bit of risk in different ways. I mean, I, I you know, I love it that the NFL world just pretends things didn't happen. <laughs> like <laughs> pretends that we didn't all just draft McCaffrey first last year and watch him miss the entire season. Like, oh, no risk there. I would never, I would never try to say that McCaffrey brings more risk this year than Saquon Barkley. Barkley is the one who had a torn ligament, and McCaffrey mm-hmm. healed up without having needing surgery. There's McCaffrey should go ahead of Barkley because of that, because the risk profile is just a lot scarier for Barkley. But my feeling about McCaffrey is that if you know he's small, I call him Tiny Bones. <laughs> he's a small <laughs> dude. He's a great player. He needs to be used like Alvin Kamara. You know, you you and I put together have the same number of a thousand yard rushing seasons as Alvin Kamara. Jeez. That would be zero. Yeah, he, he that, that he's not used that way, right? He's used as a weapon. He's used he runs, but Latavius Murray comes in and runs a lot too. They make sure they get the ball in in Kamara's hands between fifteen and twenty times a game. And McCaffrey was touching it twenty five to thirty a couple of years ago, and it's just not sustainable. So my rank is like almost a hope. That the Panthers get some get some sanity. Like let's not let's have this guy have a career and not. He two years ago he played over a thousand uh, scrimmage plays. It's the most any player has played in this millennium. He's tiny. He gets right. whacked on every time he touches it. It's it's nuts. And you're right. This is none of this was to be like. And that's why a, a Christian McCaffrey is bad or a bad fantasy pick. And in fact, if you told me you had McCaffrey at one, even in a non PPR, completely standard league, or in a half PPR, I have no argument. It's close enough. It strikes me that Dalvin Cook is the one that made it through the season unscathed and is also tremendous. Has just as much of the workload, probably a little bit more of a traditional running back body, like. It's a it's close for me. Maybe the maybe the real lesson is if I had my choice to like pick draft slots, I wouldn't really want to pick one. Mm. You go ahead, just take your favorite. I'll I'll pick three or four. That's maybe what I would want to do. 
Um, a little bit further down the running back rankings uh, at 10 and 11, um, the, a couple of guys who, who I like, and in, in part uh, from listening to the show, um, and again, in standard, this is uh, Joe Mixon and Josh Jacobs, two running backs who I, I just want to love very, very much. <laughs> um, and uh, whether it be situational or what, uh, what have you, it, it feels like there hasn't really been that full breakout, especially for Mixon. What do you see from these two guys um, that, that still has them like right around the, the, top 10 of your running back rankings. And I think Mixon consensus is in that range. And I know Jacobs isn't Jacobs is generally considered a significantly lower pick. And I think what that means is if the draft board breaks, right, I'm not going to need to take Jacobs where I have him ranked. Right. So I might wind up being like, cool, I'll wait, I'll wait a round or two and still get a guy I consider to be worthy of a second round pick. Um, I don't have that much extra to say, you know, the, the problem with running back and the problem with everything this year, certainly a lot of wide receivers too, but the problem with running back is that you run out of sure things incredibly fast, just incredibly, incredibly fast. Uh, Mixon is, has, has had one pretty good year, but never really put it together, has been essentially hurt two years in a row. The people who just judge these things by depth charts, they go, who else is there? Of course, it's still going to be Joe Mixon. And if he stays healthy, he's worth the second round pick. And I go, yeah, if he stays healthy, he could be like the number one overall player in fantasy. Like he's he's a terrific player. They don't really care about that, right? They just care. They're looking for carries. Um, and in Jacobs's case, they're looking at the depth chart and they're going, Kenyon Drake is there. I have a long and relatively tortured history with Kenyon Drake. <laughs> there were times where I was very much rooting for Kenyon Drake. He was a flag player of mine a couple of years ago or three years ago. And even last year, you know, I ranked him, I think, RB15 in Arizona. And he finished higher than that, but ugh, it was so disgusting. It wasn't it. Do you remember that Cowboy game? Was it a Sunday night game? Mm-hmm. I think where so, yeah. He, just in the second half, like the Cowboys stopped trying to tackle him and he had three, three, he had like a third of his rushing yards the whole season in that one game. Yeah. Like three 80 yard runs. Um, Kenyon Drake just has the NFL body and has never really played like it. And if if that's going to be the reason that someone's going to tell me Josh Jacobs is bad, then I'm probably just going to take Josh Jacobs, but probably not where I have him ranked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Josh Jacobs, it almost feels like that's kind of the the maybe not in the passing game, but kind of the usage we want from a Christian McCaffrey, where hey, just let this guy take over for a little bit, and now Josh Jacobs come in, and he's just going to be really really awesome for a little bit, and still get his. It's just not as much of his as we would like. And let's face it, that's the NFL now. There just aren't right. many players that aren't in running back platoons anymore like people are go i mean a friend of mine just texted me like i can't with other analysts and they did a screenshot of jamal williams must draft why guaranteed workload jamal williams guaranteed workload i'm like okay well you know he's not in green bay anymore he went to detroit and he's had a guaranteed whatever workload you think he's going to get in detroit with deandre swift there he already had it in a better situation in Green Bay. Jamal Williams has plays. He always plays. He's just not good. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, th- th- point to me, not not you, you, you know, but, like, point to me these unadorned running back jobs that have nobody who's going to threaten anything. There are, like, four of them. You know, when you get down to RB7 or 8, do we think Jonathan Taylor's got that job completely to himself? If we think that, we're wrong. Mm-hmm. Naheem Hines is going to play, and we don't. Marlon Mack seems like he's going to make the team. Jonathan Taylor's who I would take. He's a low level RB one, but this is the league now. To 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 ding Josh Jacobs above others for having another player on the team who can play, 
Now that's not entirely fair. Kenyon Drake is a lot more likely if things, if Jacobs got cold and Drake got hot, he's a lot more capable of being like the one a than Naheem Hines is right. That's not fair, but mm-hmm. uh, it seems like that's just the league now. You know, there's, we're, we're always going to have to deal with platoons. Also trying to guess along with John Gruden feels like a, a fool's errand. Cause I don't even know if he knows what he's doing a lot of the times Yeah. Um, at the wide receiver position. Um, the Tennessee Titans have two receivers who, again, I want to love very much. And they have a quarterback who I want to not have to rely on to yeah. help me with their receivers that I love very much. Um, uh, I guess how, how much does that, the, the Ryan Tannehill effect play into AJ Brown and Julio Jones for you? Apparently not a lot, considering I have both of them in my top 15. <laughs> I had this exact conversation with Andy Barons of Yahoo on my show today, as we're, as of we're recording Wednesday, August 11th, where we, we, we counted down our swing players, which is high variance players, players on which the leagues will fulcrum, like higher picks who could absolutely blow doors and be amazing, but could also completely do nothing. And Julio made my list for obvious reasons. He was a non-factor last year because of injury. He's 32. He's changing teams. He has a worse quarterback. There's a world here where it goes badly. And yet I can't stay away. I ha- think I, I think I might have AJ Brown like eighth and, and Julio Jones 15th among receivers. But what I'll say about that is I, I also have two Tampa Bay Buccaneer receivers in my top 15, Godwin and Evans. And I actually believe that there's a world where that can happen where we land at the end of the season. And both of those guys are awesome and have been amazing, have been borderline wide receiver ones for fantasy and Brady was great. And like everybody got ate ate a lot of points and it was great. I kind of don't believe in the world where that's the case for the Tennessee guys. Mm. And because I don't base my ranks on underlying stat projections that I'm making rather I'm basing them on almost like expected value. You know what I mean by expected value? Like, like, uh, I think this, this outcome has a, this percent chance of happening. And I think this outcome has a, this percent chance. And then you're adding up all the, all the, so I think, I think Julio Jones and AJ Brown both have top 15 expected values, but I bet they both don't happen. I bet it's either to some degree, kind of one or the other, and we don't really know which. And so, and, and the reason I say that is exactly because of what you said, it's Ryan Tannehill. Um, and it's if if you want Ryan Tannehill to be like a gunslinger that that allows two of his receivers to be these massive fantasy weapons, I think you get the Tannehill from Miami. I think you get the wild man who throws interceptions. The whole key to unlocking Tannehill in Tennessee has been play action more than any other team. In fact, historically high amount of play action and super defined reads where he knows where he's going with the ball. And unless it's very, very covered, he's doing that or throwing it away, you know, mm-hmm. or scrambling. He's, they're just not asking him to think as much because he's not very good at it. So, so that's all the way. I mean, I think I have Tannehill QB 12 for fantasy. He's not like unusable, but normally I think you'd say if you're going to have two receivers from the same team in your top 15 overall fantasy receivers, you'd be saying, yeah. And the quarterback is number six or seven or whatever. And in the case of Tannehill, it's not because I actually don't probably those two Tennessee receivers don't both pop like that. It's funny while you were going through that, I thought of two, um, 
two different like crutch arguments that you could use for both guys, whether it's, it's AJ Brown. Well, I mean, obviously Tannehill has this connection with AJ Brown. They've been together before. So he's the obvious choice. And with Julio Jones, it's well, they, they spent all this capital to bring him in in the off season. Obviously they're going to force feed him the ball and it kind of yeah. just drives home why those arguments are exactly what you call them in, in crutch arguments. Cause you can make that for or against almost any player in any ranking system ever. Indeed. I think my, I think my uh, video connection froze there for a second. Sorry. If everybody was looking at me like you know, picking my nose and frozen, <laughs> I apologize. Once again, the podcast people have no idea. I've completely shattered the fourth wall. <laughs> um, all good. Uh, we'll, we'll get out on tight end as there uh, again, talk about you get down to seven or eight at running back and you start to get a bit of a variance. Uh, you get to, to seven and eight at tight end and you're getting very close to like me. Um, <laughs> is, there, is there anyone when you were going through the almanac and it was, well, like a couple of years ago, you absolutely nailed it on George Kittle and one of my dynasty teams. Thanks you for that. Um, but is there anyone who you see who could be kind of this year's George Kittle who breaks away from the pack of, a bunch of really big white dudes and finds his way into the, the top four or five. I, uh, let's say though, that I didn't ha- get, I was way a late adopter on Darren Waller. He he's mm-hmm. joined that group of very reliable guys, right? Although he, I guess he's been hurt for a couple of weeks. He hasn't practiced much this year, but you know, I was very late to get, get, getting to him, but I was on Hunter Henry before he got good. You know, Zach Ertz before he was good. Um, I don't have an, I, Dallas Goddard would be the, would have been the one had Zach Ertz left Philly. And I still don't rule out the possibility that Zach Ertz leaves Philly. I think it's still possible, but at least for the moment, you know, I, it doesn't seem likely to happen. And it's a tough sell. Two tight ends in the same team is really different than two wide receivers in the same team. Because just the fact is, it's a wide receiver game. It just isn't a tight end game. And as much as people say, we're going to focus on the feature of the tight end in the passing game, that amounts to, if it's ever double digit targets to tight ends, we're like, we freak out. It's, it doesn't usually happen. Right. So it's really tough to like, you know, I've got her, I've got her in starting territory. I just, I have this irrational hope that at some point they're just like, Zach Ertz has been traded to Buffalo, you know, and it would help both of them for fantasy quite a bit and probably for the NFL. Goddard is the one to me who, when I watch him play, has the thing that I saw in Kittle, the thing, the, the, just the fluidity, the ability to not have to think as he's running the just sort of like body control sense uh hand placement you know i I really think goddard has a chance to be a star 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 i think hunter henry had a chance to get be a star too but he tore up his knee and never was really the same after it's this it's it's kind of that thing of um like you kind of know when you see it you just feel like that guy that guy just looks different it doesn't look doesn't look like a big guy even though you know he's big um but but it's hard. That's a hard action item to follow through on right now because uh, because Ertz's presence like puts a puts a damper on things. Mm-hmm. Um, I know talking draft strategy can be a little bit tricky because we're not like there sitting watching everyone's individual draft play out. But does the gigantic crater that tight end fall into uh, kind of raise up? guys like Kelsey and Kittle and Waller on, uh, I guess, draft boards as if you don't get one of those guys, it hurts. I'm sure people feel that way. I'm not ever going to do that. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't have Travis Kelsey as a first round pick. Uh, he's great. He should be a second round pick, but I don't have him as I have him pretty late in the second round. Uh, 
No, that's not right. I think I have them higher than that. I have Mahomes like late second round. Quarterback and tight end are just difficult for me to take early unless it's a super flex league for quarterbacks. Then definitely quarterbacks that that level levels things out for sure. Um, no, for me, the goal at tight end is almost always to try someone in the later rounds. And then if it doesn't work out, cast around, cast around, cast around and see if you can come up with somebody. Um, you know, the fact is, I was looking at this the other day, you know, the difference between uh, Kelsey and the replacement level, let's say the, you know, the typical number 12 tight end is like seven fantasy points a game. And the difficult, the difference between Mahomes and the replacement quarterback is more like four. Hmm. So there's an argument that says there's a little more oomph there with the tight end, but there's also just a no, no scarcity at all. And like Robert Tunyon, I didn't draft a tight end last last year, and then in a bunch of leagues, I went out and got Robert Tunyon, not thinking that he was great, but just thinking, cool, man, I'm just going to try him this week. And he scored a touchdown, so I said, cool, I'm going to try him next week too. And eventually I was like, I have the third, I have the number three tight end or the number two tight end. And that's usually the way I'm trying to proceed in a standard-sized league. The, the deeper you are, the less waiver wire um, available. Okay, if everybody in your league is taking two tight ends and someone's taking three, then that could be a problem, and I might I might boost the elite tight ends a little more, but be, honestly, it feels better emotionally <laughs> to get rid of some of that uncertainty of the running backs and wide receivers that you would have taken in the Kittle, Kelsey, Mahomes type spot. You, you, you leave the draft feeling like, phew, I really avoided some risk. And I kind of felt the same about all those running backs and wide receivers anyway. So man, I feel better. You know what? The fact is the winning teams often are going to come from the ones that take the scarce positions and feel gross about it, but luck out and happen to nail it because this is the year Mixon goes bananas, or this is the year Clyde Edwards Elair, you know, fulfills his promise or something. My, I can't say that I have a rule about it, but my general tendency, my general want in these drafts is to fire as many bullets as I can at the scarce positions and, and then make do at the not scarce. Uh, Mr. Harris, thank you very much for doing this today. I, I know you are an extremely busy man. So uh, thank you for this. Uh, your podcast and the Almanac has been a, a great resource for me and uh, has made me smarter and I've stolen stuff from it many times. So thank you for that. And uh, hopefully we can do this again throughout the season. You'll be hearing from my lawyers. And, <laughs> and thank you for having me. I'm sorry, borrowed. But I meant borrowed. <laughs> borrowed is what I meant. <laughs> thank you. See ya. See ya. All right, a huge thanks to Christopher Harris, who is an incredibly busy man. Uh, so to take that kind of time out of the schedule for little old me was really, really awesome uh, of him to do. And I am so appreciative of that. And hopefully you learned something. I'm certain you did. Want to end this with a little bit of WWE. UFC has the, the weekend off. Um, in, in the world of WWE, one of the things that's come up in sports a lot over the last little while is talk of vibes. And there are just awful vibes around WWE and specifically NXT right now. Like it, it just feels, it feels like this is the end of an era. And we, we've had a few of those where, okay, it's a changing regard, but there's a new guy coming in. Um, there's no new guys coming in. And now there are good guys going out and that is a problem. And so I don't think NXT is going to turn into what it used to, or going to continue on with what it used to be, where it kind of became a king of the indies sort of a thing. I think AEW is definitely going to be that now, and I think you're going to go back to WWE looking to do what they used to do, and that is 
try to cultivate talent, whether it be from amateur wrestling or from college football or some of those other things, that they're going to try to mold their own talent instead of finding other talent that's already been kind of worn down a little bit, but already also has a name. Um, and so I, I think that opens the door for AEW, and I think that opens the door for other promotions. Like I, I think Ring of Honor has been just kind of lurking in the background for a lot of these things. And you hear Tyler Breeze talking about how if I go to AEW, no one's really going to notice, which kind of sucks, but is also uh, probably accurate. And if he is able to go to Ring of Honor, I think that makes a big splash. Go there for six months and then go do some of the other stuff. Like I, I think this is a, a, I've said this for a little bit now, if they could get things figured out in Japan, I think all Japan could take advantage of this. I think Noah could take advantage of this, but it does feel like there is now room for other promotions to start to, to step up. On the other end, it feels like the start of a new era in AEW. Like they have been crushing it lately. Last night, or um, Wednesday night was just kind of a, yeah, it, it was there. It was a good show, not a great show, but it, 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 it was there. Um, but it feels like tonight, tonight has a, you can't miss this feel to it. And part of it is just the momentum they have built. Like, I, I don't know if th there's more of a, you can't miss next week feel when everyone and their mom thinks CM Punk is going to be showing up. I, I would imagine we get some kind of a holy shit moment with AEW tonight. Um, I, I don't know what that would be. I, my guess would be something New Japan related because they got all the guys in town for um, resurgence coming up this weekend. But it, it, it feels like AEW is really starting something here. And it, it kind of, to me, has that feel like I, I think a lot of people are using the comparison right now with AEW signing all these WWE guys of, oh, well, it's just the WCW model. And I'm looking at it differently. I'm looking at this like, WWE is bringing in all the old guys. AEW is bringing in the radicals. AEW is bringing in Paul White. And I get that they literally brought in Paul White. But AEW is bringing in the younger, underutilized talent instead of the WCW where you bring in established guys and make them established. -er. Um, you are bringing in... Some like you, you are utilizing Miro to his full potential, and uh, the late great Brody Lee. You are utilizing him to his full potential. You have a couple of that, like Christian coming in. That's neat. Matt Hardy, I don't like the character at all, but whatever. Um, you are bringing in some veterans, but you are also bringing in some of the young Alistair Black, now Malachi Black, Tommy End. You are using them properly now. And so I look at this more as 2000s WWF bringing in the young guys to just let really establish a roster instead of Hall, Nash, Macho Man, Hulk Hogan of WCW back in the 90s. All right, that's a show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I uh, have a few things planned for next week. We will see how all of that goes. And then in a couple of weeks' time, going to be doing the shows from good old Saskatchewan. Uh, so keep locked on A, the show. Rate, review, subscribe wherever possible. Uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram for updates on the show. I am at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK, and you can email the show, Diary at yahoo.com. Once again, thank you to Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X is where the A's would be. And shout out to their producer, Tommy Fresh. You can find him on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. If you haven't heard enough from me, we had no idea, took a break this week, but that's a pretty good time to catch up on the first 21 episodes of our history podcast. I've had a blast doing those and we have a fun episode coming up this week. You can follow that show on Instagram at We Had No Idea Podcast. Other things from me, 
you'll notice uh, a few contenty things coming out on Twitter. Uh, so follow me on there. And also, Okotoks dog season's coming to an end. It sucks. I mean, it, it's been a blast, and I want it to continue forever and always. But uh, my last regular season game comes up this Sunday as the dogs take on the Edmonton Prospects. I don't know about playoff schedule yet. I would find it unlikely. But... Uh, either way, the, the season's winding down in the next week or so, uh, so check us out on dogsbaseball.ca. All right, thank you guys so much for listening. I'll talk to you next week. I'm out.